I always joke around with people and say, you know, I could go into any company in the world and seem like I am a, uh, you know, a, a fortune teller because I can say, I bet one of your big problems is communications. And I bet it's also expectation setting and, you know, and everybody's like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, that's everyone's problem. Um, so you're right. Expect or uh, communication, very common issue when I'm coaching, you know, younger, younger in doesn't have to be age, younger in the journey. Right. So first time founders, whatever. Um, one of the things I always talk about is, is really just changing the perspective and it's, it's hard for us to do in some cases, but you know, I, for example, sit down with young employees, early employees in our companies, even interns that join our ventures. And I sit down with them and talk about what their goals and dreams are because what it allows me to do, it gets me in their minds, whether they care about, what are they saying to me? And if someone said, Hey, I want to be, I'll give you a real world example. An engineer uh, who joined one of our companies as an unpaid intern. We had this conversation and very early on, he said, I want to not only be the CEO, I want to like start my own company. I was like, wow, that's a pretty big step from where you're sitting, but I'm, I'm excited for you. So from that second, I was able to say, all right, well, listen, you're in a specific group within our company. In order for you to get the skills you need to go start your own business, we got to expose you to finance. We got to expose you to customer service. We need you to be on the capital raise kind of dialogue. All those things are important components of you being a successful CEO. So if I help you get there, here's what I need from you, right? And so I've kind of flipped the conversation to, I'm going to help you get to your goals. And now we can focus on aligning them back to what matters to me as the founder of this company. What are the KPIs I care about? And can this person affect them? What's the role that I need him to play? And you know, how do I measure that? And the more he is seeing that I'm truly invested in his success, the more he's going to contribute. And, and if, I, if we get out of alignment, he's more likely to bubble it up to my attention, right? Versus getting frustrated and getting pissed off. And, you know, that particular story, I won't, I won't give you the name, but, you know, the guy's a CEO of a venture-backed company right now, you know, and he started with me as a unpaid intern. I mean, he's an amazingly talented guy. And I've had that happen a few times, not because I'm gifted or good in any particular way, but just, you know, listening to people, and thinking, gosh, if I can help you get what you're trying to get here, we can get to a really mutual beneficial relationship. If I don't know where you're going, then I'm constantly guessing and wondering, and we might be out of alignment and I wouldn't even know it. So that's, that's just one of the things that I think has been helpful. Ben, before you take the, the, the next question, because I know you've got one, I want to just point out one thing that I think is really critical that you just mentioned there, and that is you asked you, you had to have a listening ear and a willing heart to ask, and then a heart to help realize that. I, I've seen, I've had business partners actually, that when we asked the same question that you asked, and we had a, an employee that said, well, I wanna own my own thing. As part of the interview process, one of my partners said, well, we aren't gonna hire that guy. I'm like, exactly. why? Well, because he's gonna go out and do his own, like, but so what? Yeah. <laughs> they they aren't cattle. We don't own them. Right. <laughs> so, 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 so short sighted. So true. Yeah, yeah I've had that. Good. I've had that happen even within my you know companies. People that are very you know smarter than me, good business partners of mine that that 
just for a moment, have we've heard similar things, you know, when we've, when we've opened up to ask questions about people on the team or maybe people interviewing for jobs and, and their reaction was, you know, maybe similar, like, well, I'm not going to invest anything in someone that's telling me now that they're going to turn around and leave. And I'm like, everybody's going to leave. Let's make it a mutual beneficial. I, I can probably get a lot more out of someone that we both know they're going to leave. And I can, I can appeal to them a lot more to say, Hey, if you'll, stick around for the next six months and really help me through these things. Not only while I help you transition, I'll be your best reference, but like, but you're now working together versus like your paths are separating. So yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of that. I, I tell people all the time, like, I don't want people to leave me hanging. You know, I want people to be transparent with me about leaving, but let's get on the same page about them leaving. Let, let me be an advisor for their next company. Let me be an investor. I mean, I want to be a part of people's journey. So let's just make it, you know, mutual. That is so similar to everybody's entrepreneurial journey that I know that um, has done something great, which was they didn't necessarily start out and say, hmm, I think I'm going to go do this. They had they had a fire. They had a purpose that was lit in their soul. They saw a need that nobody seemed to be dealing with, yeah. or at least in the direction that they felt like they could make a difference. And they took the leap and said, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when you transitioned from corporate America into nonprofit world, there may have been some baby steps. There may have been even like with the book club there, you know, you may have been doing that while you had another job, but talk to us a little bit about even that, how you've made those moves, especially from corporate world to nonprofit world. Well, I do think of myself as an entrepreneur, Gary. I've got an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I've even tried my hand, and my wife and I, we've got some business things out there, but more in the sense of what you're talking about, to bring that to bear in a nonprofit setting is still very true for me, right? Yeah. Um, and, but, and with that entrepreneurial spirit is a lot of trial and error, right? You know, one of the things I think is a deficit of many nonprofits is that they don't have a research and development budget. I mean, nonprofits live in a tyranny that whatever we do has got to work. And if it don't work, the donors aren't going to give you any more money. If you fail in any way, mm -hmm. we're living in the constant threat that these donors out here who are entrepreneurs themselves don't have that same filter when they look at the work of nonprofit. And so you're always living that, uh, you've always got that, that sort of shadow over you, man, we can't even fail in the little things because I'm always threatened by the idea that my income streams or other resources will go away. But in the, in, the, in the entrepreneurial world, you know that you need trial and error. Research and development requires failure. And we don't give ourselves permission to do that in a nonprofit like I wish we would. And I've always asked my board every year, I said, one day I'm gonna get bold enough, I'm gonna put a line item in here that says research and development. <laughs> and it will only be about failure. Because if we fail forward, if we fail in work, then we're getting somewhere. And, and, and here's the other thing. Failure also is the most authentic way, I believe, to say that we need help. 
I mean, the reason I'm sitting in Nashville today is because even though our program's going well at the Harvest Center, I'm not crazy enough to think we've got all the good ideas. They're, I believe they're pollinated. You know, a great saying a friend of mine always says is, hey, remember this, success leaves footprints. Mm-hmm. So I'm out chasing feet for it, man. I'm going to go to Atlanta in a couple of weeks, and there's a group down there that's doing some amazing things. And in the nonprofit world, again, we have this entrepreneurial spirit, but oftentimes we feel crippled because, you know, donors and, and board members have a way of making you feel like you can't make mistakes. And even though, and we do, and, I, and, and we make mistakes, but the mistakes are always intentional toward a greater goal. We're getting closer. Every mistake we make, every failure gets us closer to our, our reality, that we're going to solve this issue once and for all. So I am an entrepreneur in, in heart. I am. And I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, I'm, at the, in the Harvest Center, we've, had, we, we've tried some things that we won't do again. You had said how, how difficult, but also how necessary learning yourself is, right? Because that, if that doesn't get addressed, then it leads on to the additional crises that you just talked about. So if, if it is such a difficult thing, but it's so necessary, how do you get people to actually commit to learning themselves? What are some of those steps that, uh, that these leaders that are listening um, can, can begin that process at, after listening to this episode? Right. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm really selective on who I take on as clients first off, because I want to only do work with the ones that will do the work. And I, I, you know, I put them through this application process usually, and I can tell if they're willing to do the work. Um, and so the first place to really start to learn yourself, right. is to gain that deep, deep, deep clarity is to ask yourself a set of questions, you know, what ways do I want to show up? What do I kind of want to be known for? How are my interactions, right? What does success look like for me? And, and these exercises, while those, those sentences just rolled off my mouth, right? They're big. Like, so I give some homework sometimes and um, some of my clients are like, that's just, what? You know, I'm not doing them like, yeah, you are. You know? <laughs> so, yes, you are. And then secondly, they get into it and then they'll text me like, you know, at four in the morning and they'll say, I hate you. <laughs> I'm like, I love you too. And this is combat pay, right? I'm being called a brutal bitch. I'm being called all these things. Yeah. Then I get flowers because then they're like, they realize how important these questions are. They're like, I struggled so hard with this tiny little sentence. And I'm like, yeah, because digging deep and unearthing and pulling back that, that curtain, right? We all have these identities that we've collected along the way, right? You know, SPB at the bank, uh, consultant here, you know, practice owner here, wife, mother. Who the hell are you really? What do you want to be? Like, you know, if you could close your eyes, what's the first maybe that you see, right, for you? You know, if you didn't have to, have to, and if you got to, what would that look like, right? Yeah will teach your children have taught your own children who you surround yourself with is the most important choice you could you can make mm-hmm. and that applies even more so when you're a grown-up person and, mm-hmm. because that's really what it's about I mean we're we're a, a, a customer facing business I mean we're you know it's it's people to people because um, there's people involved I don't care what what the business I don't care if it's accounting I don't care if it's construction 
you know, it's, it's people. And if you've got people in the mix next to you, across from you, however you want to say it, that, that are, are pulling in a different way or have a different set of standards, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a different result. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a, as a company, all general contractors are facing the same weather. You know, we all, we're all facing the same inspectors. We're all facing the same code changes. We're all facing the same subcontractor pool. So how do we, how do we differentiate ourselves in that mm. regard? And one of the things that I preach often, you know, that, that's worked very well for me as a leader and us as a company is take away the obstacles and you take away the excuses. Mm. And what I mean by that in terms of a project, I put, you know, if, if, you know, when you bring that sub, when you bring that painter in, when your father's company comes in to paint, we better be ready for him. We better have right. stuff out of his way. The walls are, are, are dusted down. Yep. There's a place for them to park. Here's the porta potties. Go to work. Yeah. And they'll come in and they'll execute and they'll make more money because they, they have better production and they get on to the next one. If, you, if we bring a subcontractor in and, well, we're not ready here and you got to move that stuff out of the way and, oh, the parking is three blocks away, we've just built a bunch of excuses of why they can't perform. Right. And at that point, if you want to yell at somebody, I hand out mirrors. Here's a mirror. Look, look at that person and yell at that person. So take away the obstacles. You take away the excuses. Now, in terms of, of my role as a leader of the company, if you will, I mean, I, I have an obligation to our people that if, 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 if I'm fortunate enough for you to choose to come work for us, I owe you a clear, wide path. Right. You know, and, and that's the way, I, and it's funny, I was doing some reading and I think I've learned about myself that I'm a, a, a bottom-up leader. You know, and, and yeah, you had mentioned that before before podcast yeah. uh, before everything was rolling, and and I love that phrase, and it really all ha- it has completely to do with the leader being the person that's serving, right? So I want you to dive deeper on that. Sure, because explain sure. to the listeners exactly what you mean by that philosophy. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, as you get older, you look back and you and you, and you learn a lot about yourself. You know, the way I'm wired is, is you know, throughout my life, you know, whether I was when I was younger and as I got older and when I started my family, you know, I have learned that if everybody around me is, is, is in a good place, I've taken care of their needs and they're good, I'm good. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's just, and it's not about, I mean, it's, it's, it's I still have my needs and, and my wants too, but at the end of the day, my, my primary wiring is take care of everybody else and when they're good, and they're not yelling at me. I'm, I'm good, right? Um, so, so put that in terms of, of, of bottom-up leadership. And what I mean by that is really just think about a, a traditional organizational chart. Think about that pyramid and kind of yeah. flip it over. You know, because at, at the end, of the day, and we've actually gone to that kind of a graphic layout in our pre, our proposals. Because you, you know, okay, if I'm at the, if it, you know, in a traditional sense, if I'm at the top and you've worked at middle managers and you've got the project team. If you flip it over, the project team, the superintendent, the project manager, they're touching the client more than mm-hmm. anybody else. Yeah. That's who the interaction is going to be mm-hmm. with. I, at the end of the day, if it, if it all flows down to me, then I'll, I'll step in. But boy, oh boy, we've done something wrong in between. And, and, and the best description I read that is when you're, when you're a bottom-up leader, your job, my job, is to bring out the best in others. Push people to you know, be outside of their comfort zone ask the important questions, get them thinking in a critical way versus just the, that transactional shoot from the hip kind of thing, that reactive mm-hmm. mode. Um, and it's, it's really been, and for me, again, that's one of those aha moments. And, and you know, after I, I, 
I learned what I didn't know and I began to kind of, you know, kind of grow that way. It began to be like, man, this is this this works. This works. It's not about any one person. No, right. no company, unless you're just a, a solo practitioner doing something. I guess no company of any size rises and falls on one person. And if it does, there's something wrong. Right. You yeah. can't have that one keystone in, no. in the business, or, no. or it's bound for failure. No. And and um, you know, and that kind of plays into the whole succession planning too. Because again, if you do have that one key person, that one key person goes away for whatever reason. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a dark and lonely place, right? Keep it simple, but also understand who you're serving and what's important to them and have that be interlocked with what's important to you. Because if you're just serving somebody based on what you think the market need is, but you don't have a passion for it, it's not probably going to make it to your three-year horizon that you've set out, which I also thought was really wise, Aaron, because, um, you know, having a, a three-year t- horizon to say, I'm going to give it my best, I think that's about right, you know. Yeah. I know some people that have done it sooner than that and some that took a little bit later, but but three-year window is about right, I think, to yeah. if you're going to give it all, all you got. Yeah, and I feel like you can't look to year one to be profitable. Let's just be real. You know, you're learning. I think I read somewhere, and I don't know, it, you know, it takes six months to learn a job and a year and a half to really perfect it. And so to imagine yourself trying to open a brand new business in year one, I've made millions. It's like, whoa, like this is not year one. When you get to the end of year one, you should throw a party that you made it through the year. <laughs> Literally grab a glass of wine, a beer, a balloon, a Dr. Pepper, whatever you want, and be like, woohoo, I did it. Like I did this one year accomplishment. And so the three years was always something that was non-negotiable for me. Any business that I start, if in the future I start any other businesses, three years is my mark. At the end of that, you can reevaluate. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you know what? You tried it. And uh, that's kind of my mentality is just to give things a try. If they don't work, then you learn from them. But you'll never know unless you try it. What I find interesting from that is you gave yourself this three-year timeline, but you didn't let yourself plan for three years. I feel like it would have been easy saying, okay, here's my three years. This is what it's going to look like at the end. But, but you didn't. You stayed in the month to month and, and the maximum you said is one year. Um, was that something you had to do conscious to say, okay, here's my timeline of three years, but I need to stay in the moment? Or is that just a natural thing for you? Oh, that's natural. I am a spontaneous human being, I can change my mind on food three times at a restaurant. So trying to be like, oh, three years from now, this is, like, there's no way. I was good with saying, okay, this season, I can look at this quarter and see what it is I want to do. I can look at this season. With wedding planning, you know, things are 12 to 18 months in advance. So I could book a wedding today for April of 2022. So then that gives me a year and a half that I have that one in my, in my mindset, essentially. So that one was a little easier to plan out years at a time because you could see things coming down the pipeline. Uh, the bridal shop is, is a little different, but I, I just think it's a big challenge that you don't even know sometimes where your personal life will be in three years, let alone where your business could be. So a year was my maximum and I could give myself, I'd like to accomplish these things. And again, back to the list, when I said at the end of a year, what do I want to accomplish? It was that simple stuff. It was not, I want to make X amount of dollars. It was, I want to have relationships with these many new vendors. 
I want to do one wedding of this particular type. I want to book at this. I want to create a relationship. It was very simple. Expecting it to be anything bigger is no way. Like, please let me have a thousand Instagram followers. That may make my life. Like, you know, like they were very small pieces that would grow over time. The, the way it worked out for me was, as I mentioned earlier, I started a tow truck business. And then by being in tow truck business, you end up getting a lot of cars that come in and you're storing these cars. People don't come pick them up. So, so you end up getting into, okay, what do I do with these cars? I can scrap the car. I can strip the car. I can sell the car. So we got into selling a lot of cars. And um, so the state sent me a, a letter said, you're selling too many cars without being a car dealer. So we, I virtually got rolled into owning a used car dealership, just like that. That went very well. That went very well. And we did uh, very good with that business. That was one of the other businesses that I sold. But what I led off of that was I got into this, this eBay thing hit, right? I don't know if y'all remember that eBay, sell on eBay. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get into eBay and I'm gonna get into stripping cars and selling parts. But little did I know that you need acres and acres of land to store all these cars, right, to do this. So I tried to get into that, and I, and I really bombed it just because it was one of those things that I thought I could do this, but I didn't have the capital. It was one of those businesses that you really have to have a lot of capital to get into. But I was just, oh, I can do anything. I can make it happen. I'm, you know, everything's been going well. But that's the one that probably was – if I'd have went to, if, if, if I had to do it over, I'd have pitched it to partners. Things that I've learned from that is to go after some other partners or some work with somebody else strategically. But that was really could have been a gold mine and been a great business. But I couldn't do it alone. And at that age, I didn't. I thought I could do everything alone. So I, I would say the number one thing is to make sure that you're not trying to do everything by yourself. And that's what I had to learn the hard way is to put the right team around you and look at look at things from a different approach. But I really, really, that was a really great business model. And there's there's guys that started out when I, when I got into it and, tr and they, they have families, they have teams, and they've been real successful. And, um, and some of them, when I drive by, I'm going, wow, man, that was, uh, that was the one that I blew, you know, that I think that could have really been major. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just dovetail into that. I've seen that more often than not with young entrepreneurs, not always just young, but have a big exit one or even maybe two times, but usually even after one where I call it the Midas touch, where they think, hey, everything I touch is yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not necessarily true. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think you said something really, really important, which is, uh, one, humility and understanding, I, I, I don't know everything, and just because I had success one time doesn't guarantee success going forward, but secondly, is like, have the right team around you, understand your strengths and your weaknesses, especially if you're going to do something that requires a lot of capital. Yes, definitely. Totally agree there. I'm, that was the biggest mistake I've probably ever made, but I learned more from that mistake than anything else. And one thing I do want to say is as entrepreneur, you got to take shots. I'm, I'm the guy that takes 10 shots and hits three. So, but I'm happy with that because I learned so much from those seven misses, right? I learned way more than if I only took three layups 
or take 10 three-pointers and hit three. I'd rather shoot the three-pointers. There's more reward. And then I learn from the shots I miss, right? So that's one thing as an entrepreneur we have to realize. A lot of people, they'll, they'll study, 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 or prepare, plan, plan, plan. But then we have to execute sooner or later. So uh, don't be afraid to fall. Don't be, just dust yourself off. But just know that you are going to fail. That's, that's kind of my point of view.